Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to Marcus Meets, a show that's available via iTunes podcasts for Apple devices or Acast, which works on iPhone, Android, and you can listen with whatever device you want pretty much by heading to marcusbronzy.com slash meets. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y dot com slash meets. Today's episode, Ben Bailey Smith, a.k.a. Doc Brown, super clever and talented man from a lineage of super talented people. Doc Brown is an entertainer who's been creating content to entertain literally all ages and still is creating content that entertains all ages everything from children's books all the way through to full-blown comedy shows for adults. There's a lot of great knowledge Doc Brown drops on us on this episode. We also talk about the first time Ricky Gervais called him, what he said, um, his ITV drama called Brief Encounters, uh, what stand-up he prefers, how to rap like Drake, uh, a very cyclical part of his life, so much and um learning as well there's a lot about learning uh, and doc brown seems like somebody who's definitely learned a lot and it's good to learn how other people learn as well anyway before we get stuck into it he mentioned that being on tv can make you aware of changes in your weight but can you really tell from watching yourself on the box whether or not you have a couple of extra pounds here or there yeah i just you just look at yourself and think oh my god what was i eating what was really? i eating that week yeah you know, there's that saying like um, the the camera puts on ten pounds. Yeah, I don't really. Know, I don't know if that's true, but what the what what it does do is it provides it provides you with a a constant mirror. And if you're not a mirror guy, like I'm not really a mirror guy, I don't really care that much. But when you see yourself, you're like, oh right, okay, yeah. And I'm never gonna be one of those gym guys. You know, most of the actors that I work with, they're all gym guys. I can't be asked with that. Do you I, know, I think you, people should look like normal people, but at the same time, yeah. I want to sort of. I, I know it's crunch time. What Once about I fat hit 40, people, though? Should they not be gym guys? Well, I mean, if you if you're fat, I think you just you know you gotta ask yourself some questions. I think if you're totally happy, then it's it's not an issue unless you're like morbidly obese and it's gonna kill you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, yeah. and that's that's something that I think an outside party needs to have an intervention and force you. To, to save your own life but if you're you know if you're just festively plump and you enjoy it and whatevs yeah but, like for me whenever I've, I've been weighty like i feel more tired i don't want to do shit less self-esteem so you can generally feel it though yeah, like when you like i've, I've been fat it. bruv like this ain't about me that i've been fat yeah i've been actually fat like as a youngster so i, I know what it's like how fat how fat was that um you know it wasn't like I wasn't like, you know, like I say, obese. But I was fat enough to have the, the piss ripped out of me <laughs> at school. Like you what? Know? Like, it just is what it is, isn't it? 
Really? Yeah, just, you know, even even chubbiness is like, that's enough. That's enough. Like, kid, you know how kids are. Yeah. Kids are animals. They are. They are. What Do, do we want to go into nicknames and stuff? I mean, I can share with you if you share with me. I, I, don't, I don't remember particularly, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, I remember Marty McThigh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still get called occasionally by some of my, my closer closer friends. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't mind that one. I find it quite funny. But Marty McThigh. Yeah, yeah I think it's one. good. It's solid. I think that kids come, up with, the the best, kids come up with the best nicknames for stuff yeah, like that. Man, it's, that's, it's, you know, that's, that's where all the best slang comes from. Yeah. Kids. I was speaking to um, like an uncle-in-law and he used to get called Eyeball by his two by his brother and sister I was so like, what you see why because they always used to there was like two siblings uh, three kids in total and he was the youngest but he always wanted to be in on what they were saying when they were like you know whispering and talking like mm. kids do and apparently he was always always at the other side of the room <laughs> eyeing out what they're saying so I couldn't eyeball anyway um, Ben thanks for coming down today um, we're here Pleasure. obviously to talk about first off because you're such a multifaceted entertainer um the hmm. acting side of things, man, okay. like kicking ass out here. Yeah, well, you know, what do you want to talk about first? The film? I'm trying. Like, or listen, whatever the ITV you, show, whatever you want to discuss, I'm, I'm, I'm open to discussing. So you know, the the important thing is that the interview is not boring. That's mm. that's my main thing because I find interviews quite tedious a lot of the time because they're so heavily. Uh, they're sort of PR'd to death. You know? Okay. All right. Well, then um, let's go back to so fat people whatever you want to talk about. Let's, I'm, let's, I'm happy to before, talk about. Before we go on, the only thing that upsets me about fat people is the noisiness of <sighs> sitting down and <sighs> just when you're doing things that shouldn't require noise. No, it's not getting up and sitting down. When you're doing things that don't require noise, like just sitting there quietly mm. next to me on some public transport. Mm. I don't want to hear the distress right. of the weight on your chest. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's, there's something slightly fascistic about that opinion. <laughs> I mean, we've both been fat, so we should we should appreciate uh, you know, the difficulties that those people people have. Yeah. Um I mean, I don't I don't really have a problem with that. I I think you've got a you know, you got to take every every situation uh, as it as it is. Oh, thank you. I've just been delivered a a yes. cold beverage. Thank you. Um, a warm one. No, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I've got more of an issue with, with pregnant women like doing those noises. Like I know you're pregnant. You don't have to. Like everyone can see. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And just like constantly. <sighs> <sighs> like they're the first people to ever, ever have a baby. Uh, and just stroking themselves constantly. Yeah. Looking at you going, guess what? Yeah. I get it. I get I'm it. Pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah David Brent Life on the Road let's mm. go there first man okay. um, tell us a bit more about your character though please yeah I mean well, it's based on a character that me and Ricky developed for Comic Relief in 2013 who is a uh, sort of um, sort of nice but dim uh, aspiring rapper called Dom Johnson mm. um, yeah he's not the sharpest tool in the box but he's uh, he's, he's, he's very loyal and um, he sort of follows David around a little blindly um, because David is providing him with the finances to record his demo. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't see what well, he just doesn't have quite enough imagination to to step out on his own. Um, so what you see in, in the movie is essentially a kind of passive aggressive father and son kind of relationship between uh, uh, David and Dom. Um that has its various ups and downs. Ricky phoned my phone 
in 2012 mm-hmm. um, when I was sat in my garden and uh, and said, hey, hey, it's, 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 it's Ricky Gervais, you know. And I just thought it was somebody wasting my time because actually the first thing he said was, what's up, doc? Which I find really irritating, naturally. Um, and then he did the laugh. <laughs> and then he said, no, it's, it's Ricky, it's Ricky Gervais. And obviously I just thought it was someone wasting my time, you know? So I was like, dude, I, I really don't have time for this. <laughs> and um, then he passed the phone to a, somebody who turned out was a, something of a mutual friend mm-hmm. um, who said, no, it really is Ricky. He's got something he wants to ask you. So he said, like, I've been watching you on YouTube and stuff and um, doing this tour of Scandinavia. I wondered if you come and open for me. So that was that. Was that. That's how it started. And then you flew me out first class to to norway and um that was, that was the first and last time i've ever been on first class it was lovely <laughs> and um you know did the gig and, and we had a few beers and, and started chatting about future work really he was just developing a show called Derek, and he said you know i'd love to try and crowbar you in there when we get back to london you should come around you should try do some writing so that's what happened we went round, and Derek came first we developed an episode together and then um, just in the process of hanging out, we started writing songs together. And that's where the Equality Street song came from. Yep, acceptance. See that Kenyan guy with mental eyes? He might be totally normal. You can't generalize. Black people aren't crazy. Black people aren't lazy. And dwarves aren't babies. You can't just pick them up. They got right. And he decided to do it as David Brent, as a little one off for comic relief. It got such a huge response. That he said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him back properly, mm. with 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 you as as like a sort of subplot kind of hero. And I was well, like, all right, <laughs> excellent. And w- what can we expect from the movie then? Like, like what what's gonna differ us from the sort of David Brent? Well, I mean, it's totally different from The Office. The only thing it retains from The Office is the character David Brent, but it's very much a kind of spinal tap homage. Um, it's I guess something of a musical because it, it follows um, David's sort of disastrous attempts to be a rock star. So he puts a band together with this, this young rapper and they go off on a, on a terrible tour. So I guess it's kind of a road movie, a buddy movie and a kind of musical rock, rockumentary. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned Ricky like straight off the bat when he mm. called you was just cracking jokes already. Like- yeah. Yeah. Straight away. <laughs> so set life must have been kind of interesting then mm. life on set was i mean it was i mean I've, I've been involved in upwards of 20 shoots now and life on the road was easily the most entertaining the most fun and it, and it was the one that kept you on your toes the most as well because he would encourage us to improvise every, every day on set come up with things and then he'd just edit in the moment. He'd say, oh, yeah, that thing you said there, just narrow that down, you know, and then we'd shoot it. And a lot of that is in the movie, amazingly. So every day was kind of scary, but in in a good way, because most things you shoot very, very regimented, very regimented. You say what's on the page and you do exactly what was planned. Whereas Ricky, some days we would do something completely different. And the, the crew loved it as well, even though it was hard to plan for stuff. Most days, everybody loved it because it was just different. And 
Ricky always finishes early. That's why he's, he's so popular as a director in, in the industry. <laughs> most shoots just go on, you know, 12 hours a day. Ricky will always be done by like half three, four. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so everybody loved working with him. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a fun shoot, man. And with, you know, these actual musicians in and actually being on the road, going from venue to venue to shoot, um, I just had a ball because, you know, I'm fr- I come from music and... I find, you know, shooting TV and film, it's it's great, but it's very workmanlike and it's very, very tedious at times. People don't realise it's not like music. You know, music, probably the tedious thing is is rehearsing and rehearsing and sound checks and sometimes, you know, sometimes the travel. But on the whole, you're with friends and, <laughs> you know, doing a music gig is not like doing 12 hours of shooting in a day you don't necessarily have to begin work at, at 6 a.m and and be drinking tea you can start work at sort of 10 p.m and have a beer do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, and still yeah. do your job amazingly well mm. so with that in mind um with the musicians particularly and Andy Burrows who's uh former drummer and and M- MD and songwriter for uh, for Razorlight um, you know, we just had a ball, man. Like those guys would be out in lunch break, like finding the nearest pub, and and you'd have to drag them out, you know, and like all the prop beers, just drink them, you know. <laughs> so they were actual beers. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't yeah, prop yeah. beers like Eastenders. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some. There were some some scenes we shot where we would we were so drunk it was it was silly. Like there was one one scene we shot a in a bar above. Dingwalls, do they still call it Dingwalls? I don't even know, in Camden Town. Mm. Um, I think they call it The Lock now. Um, but uh, yeah, we had, like, for some reason, our characters were given Desperados <laughs> to drink at the bar, which for those who don't know, are like sort of a mixture of beer and tequila. Mm. Uh, they're horrific, but um, yeah, we just like downed the beers and the prop guy was like, all oh, right, I need to refresh those. I try not to drink as much on this take. <laughs> But we just did the same thing. And by the end of the scene, we'd probably had about six each. So, Mm. you know, there was that slight lawlessness to it that was just super fun, man. And um, everyone that worked on it was cool, open-minded and, you know, down to have a good time. So it was just just unlike any other shoot I've Mm. been on. Mm. I always remember it, I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to getting my eyes on that man. And and yeah, well, August nineteenth, man. Yeah, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, definitely. And and I know there's a lot of actors out there right now that when they hear this are probably thinking, "Wow, I like beer and I like acting. <laughs> I need to work with Ricky Gervais at some point." You just you sold it and and yeah. finishing at four as well. Yeah, incredible. Sick. So what was the difference um, on set between, say, for example, that and then Brief Encounters, which is like a whole side of you, which I've only been aware of since sort of law and order stuff. Right, so I yeah. come like the serious side of you. Yeah. I mean, listen, there are some dramas that are as crazy in terms of a shoot as, as anything that, that, that Ricky might do. I mean, I, I just watched the movie recently called Victoria, which is a, a sort of very gritty thriller set in Berlin, but it was shot in one take. So it was just a continuous shot. Uh, going across Berlin, dealing with all sorts of crazy stuff, police chases, and also technically it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, 
But, you know, that couldn't have been a, a straightforward experience. I'm sure it would have been very trying, but a lot of fun as well. But the majority of movies and, and TV shows that you see are shot in the same way. They're, it's dependent on location first and foremost. So you'll be shooting a scene from five minutes into the movie, a scene from 35 minutes into the movie, and a scene, maybe the final scene, all in one day because those scenes are, all take place in, in one location. Therefore, you're you're leaping around. And you're very very dependent on light location and availability of actors. Mm. So you know the process has to be planned almost with an inch of its life and energy. So even when you see a really amazing, energetic script, exciting or funny or scary or whatever it's supposed to be, the actual process of shooting it often is exactly the same. You know, from the wackiest comedy to the most terrifying horror, the process is is a lot of the time just identical. And um, so on something like Brief Encounters, you know, the biggest difference is this is a an ITV um, CPL production, um, you know, big companies, lots of experience of, of, of shooting stuff, and they're going to do it in the way that they know how to do. It's life on the road was like Ricky set up production company just for that. And he mm. was in charge of everything. Mm. So, you know, it was always going to be a totally different experience. I mean, you know, Brief Encounters was just, just as enjoyable, but in a totally different way. It's way more of like, okay, this is, this is a job. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, can't be, you can't be nipping off to the pub at lunch break and stuff. Mm. You know, people are on you to get things done and um, timeframes are everything. Okay, well, as a recording, I've not actually seen it yet. I've just seen the trailer. Sure. Um, so what is it about? Uh, well, Brief Encounters is, is a six-part um, drama, kind of a comedy drama, I guess. There's a lot of light moments in it, a lot of, a lot of fun, um, and it's set in 1982. And it's about the sort of birth of the Ann Summers parties, the, um, the sort of, you know, same structure as the Tupperware party where women would go to other women's houses and, and sell stuff and have like an event around it, you know, some glasses of wine and have a laugh, but with exotic lingerie and marital aids. Mm, marital yeah, aids. Marital aids. I have not heard them being called that for a That's very long time. That's what they were called initially to, to avoid embarrassment. Um, so uh, the lead is played by Sophie Rundle, um, who people can probably see right now in, in Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Angela Griffin, who everybody knows um, from various soaps and, and dramas. Sharon Rooney from my big fat mad diary and um, Penelope Wilton. And um, it sort of follows the story of the, these four women in a kind of, you know, experiencing a kind of, I guess, a sexual revolution. Um, and I play essentially the love interest of, of, of Sophie, the um, the lead. Uh, yeah. And and there's a lot going on in it. Um, it I tell you what it's it feels like tonally. If people are into this kind of thing, then they'll know whether they want to watch it or not. It's a, it's like a cross between like the Full Monty and Made in Dagenham. You know, it's got that vibe of like you know working class, real lives. It's up north, um, smatterings of comedy, feel good stuff, but also you know quite. Uh, I wouldn't want to say gritty drama, but, you know, real life drama. Yeah. 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 You get your kit off in it as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. That was, uh, it was kind of an awkward thing for me. Cause like I say, I'm not, I'm not a gym guy 
and I, I never will be a gym guy. Um, so I was very sort of paranoid because like the other actors in it were all ripped. Mm. And I spoke to the producer about it actually. I was like, look, this is me. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not built. And she was like, dude, no, nobody was ripped in the 80s, you know? Just, you know, just, it'll, it'll be more attractive to people to see a normal looking dude on the show. And mm. I was like, all right, cool. That gave me a lot more confidence. So yeah. as long as I don't, my next role isn't in a superhero movie. Or, I was going to say Marvel. Or that's, in the millennium. No, I think that's, that I'm, could I'm be cool. the one thing that could that could change your life. Because we've Possibly. seen these Marvel films yeah. like Wonders. They've turned people into these monsters. I mean, one of my closest friends in the industry, Ed Skrine, has just recently um, played Francis Ajax, the villain in, mm. in Deadpool. And, um, you know, he, he was also the, the new transporter taking over from Jason Statham. And you know when I when I hang out with him now, like the dude is ripped, like he's Hollywood ready. Yes, you know I mean, and uh, it's part and parcel of what he does because a lot of his roles are very very physical. Mm. And I, there is a part of me that thinks, oh, I'd love to do what Ed does, and then at the same time, I think I don't know if I want to do all the exercise that Ed does. Do you know what? Doc? So it's it's <laughs> it's cr- bruv, those regimes when you start reading into yeah. them just reading like what hugh jackman has to do yeah that just that just that makes me tired and yeah. and hugh huge action as i call him is like <laughs> he's you know, jacked man yeah, yeah i mean he must be what mid 40s now yeah yeah and and like daniel craig who's possibly even into his 50s these these guys look incredible mm. and the work they must have to do to retain that body it is eye-watering and on top of that they must be knackered all the time i, I just don't know if i could do it i think it's one of those things that if you did a, I reckon if you did a film i don't even know you but if you did, if you did a film like that if, if you did a film i reckon once you had that though would you feel like well, i wouldn't mind keeping it around for a little while like would you would you do the maintenance i don't think i would no i mean <laughs> I, my favorite thing on a film set is like I mean, I, like I say, I have a few friends that are actors, but I have made way more friends over the years in the in the business mm-hmm. from crew. Yep. And the crew are never going to be self-conscious because nobody knows who the hell they are, mm. you know. And when the crew want to have a drink after work on, on a certain day, like, I just love, I love, I love coming along. And um, most actors at the end of the day, they'll go to the hotel and they'll hit the hit the hotel gym. And I can tell you, like, not even nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, which decision I'm going to make. <laughs> it's just the way I am. So, you know, I can't see that changing anytime soon. Um, but like I say, I, if I was offered a job where I had to be a, a physical specimen, I'd work for that job. But I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't retain it. I be so asked. basically, if Marvel comes calling, we'll, we'll be looking at Doc Brown, Dench, Doc Brown. Yeah. For one film, if it's Big a franchise, ben ba- Big Ben Bailey, yeah, there we go, yeah, Big Ben Bailey Smith, Big yeah. Ben Bailey Smith, yeah, that's there. Um, <laughs> so you've kind of you kind of answered this already, but I'll I'll ask you again. So, with regards to acting, you we know you do comedy, we know you can do serious stuff, Law and Order, obviously Brief Encounters, which is coming out. Yeah, Brief Encounters, we haven't got a TX date for it yet, but it will be early to mid July so okay. I haven't got the exact date but I'm sure by the time this comes out you'll be able to stick that in a link or something definitely 2016 mm. um, yeah so would you lean more towards comedic roles if you had the choice or or is it for you no you I, I lean forum? specifically towards quality of script right that is my only focus uh, 
if it's a great script and it's a comedy, then lovely, you know, because everybody knows my relationship with comedy. But I genuinely have no preference. I I, I want to do. Uh, I want to work on scripts where the you know the lines are you know it's full of zingers. The character that I'm playing has some kind of interesting journey to go on. That's a challenge for me, you know. So um, I just want to be able to do things that surprise people and myself, okay. you know, because I think one of the reasons I I take on so many different um, what's the word sensibilities within entertainment is because I get bored easily. I get bored very, very easily. So if I'm doing one thing for too long, I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's like with stand up, you know, my promoters, my live promoters and fans, I say, hey, man, you know, one more show and you, you know, full length show, you could be at Wembley, you know, doing arenas and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't really fancy that. Like, I, 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 I prefer stand up to be intimate and I prefer to do it when I want to do it. I don't want to be forced into suddenly being funny. Like okay. when I feel funny, that's when I do stand up. And it's the same with all my other stuff. Sometimes I want to make music just for the hell of it. And then I, that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes I want to write for children and that's what I'm going to do, mm. you know? And it, for some people, they're like, they can't, can't get it in their heads. And it's just like, no, I can't, I can't handle, you can't be good at this. You can't do that. And I'm like, well, Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Sorry. How do you feel about people that drop that saying, you know, jack of all trades, master of none? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very, very true. Um, but I think too much is made of the so-called difference between the things that I feel I excel at. I don't think they're different at all. Um, I think the master of all trades, uh, you know, master of master of none, I should say. Um, there's very rarely a true word said, but if you look at trades, that's the key word within that phrase. To take on a different trade all of a sudden is a very, very difficult thing. I don't feel that I've ever done that. If you look at what I've done from the start, from the beginning, I was a rapper, right? Which meant I had to write entertaining content and perform it. Okay. Um, from there, I went into stand-up, which meant I had to write entertaining content and perform it. From there, I went into acting. I didn't even have to write entertaining content because content, that was written, but I had to perform it. And then from there, I wrote a children's book. 
where I had to write entertaining content and I do perform it regularly mm. in front of, you know, families at book festivals and whatnot. I don't see any of them as being that different. If if you said I was a rapper and then I suddenly did like figure skating and then flower arranging and I was going to do like synchronized swimming, you'd be like, what the hell is this guy all about? Mm. Why is he trying to... Whereas I, I just see myself as a writer, a performer, and, and I apply those to the, the areas that I think I can do. You know, I can rap. I can't sing operat- operatically, so I'm not going to try it. It's a well, different heard, trade. I've heard your Drake impression. It's not really <laughs> operatic singing, but... Um, I can hold yeah, a note. I can yeah, hold a you, note. you can hold a note. You can, you can, um, you can lengthen that, um, yeah. that Drake does. Yeah. Um, your Drake impression is pretty cool. Thank you. And I haven't got a gun, but I could use a gun. I wouldn't shoot it, but I know a guy who shoot a gun. And I know some other guys who would snap on you. They the hardest motherfuckers out in Canada. Step to Drake, I will punch you in the face. Not literally, but my friend will punch you in the face. Uh, Apparently there's like a set of rules behind this. But that's I can't right. Find I mean, the that's where it started. What are, what are the rules for rapping like Drake? I just posted on Twitter and Instagram. Um, just something that made me laugh is me and my brother are always, you know, we're always talking about Drake because I think he's such an interesting character. As as much as I love taking the piss out of him, I also think he's amazing. Like when he's mm. good, he's up there with the best. And I realise why he polarises opinion, obviously, because, you know, he's he's all vulnerable and he's, he's, he's soft and he openly talks about that. Um, but, you know, that's kind of why we like him, you know, and... Obviously, you know, he's an, he's another mixed race person who sort of embraces his uh, his sort of betweeniness. Um, sometimes he gets a bit carried away and I'm quite entertained by that as well. And, and to be honest, up until his most recent album, I've liked mm. almost everything he's put out. Mm. But he is easy to ridicule and mm. he ridicules himself to be fair. He's on Saturday Night Live all the time wearing stupid wigs and doing yeah. dumb stuff. And I, I just think, you know, He's a target, like we're all targets, but I do it with love and affection, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just got to the point where me and my brother, we were talking about how on every Drake album, there's certain tropes, you know, and I thought about them in terms of like almost rules. Like if you wanted to create your own Drake song, there's certain rules. And uh, I think the first one was you've got to reference how how good this year is going in comparison to last year, even though last year was amazing and you were better than everybody else. And what's next year going to be like? That's a key one. <laughs> um, you got to reference some form of shellfish or seafood at some point. Yeah. Um, you got to talk about either overpaying, abandoning or saving a stripper. All right. Um, you got to shout out a city as if it's somewhere you lived. For but some you time, don't. But you don't. Yes. That's crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, cool. Um, oh, and uh, also, uh, you're not ever going to kill anybody, but don't don't let anybody push you because you do know somebody who knows somebody who might be able to kill somebody. So those are, those are the five, those are my top five, uh, like, make a Drake song rules. And there's a video of you applying those rules yeah because i was on um this radio show the internet radio foobar and my co-host had read the tweet and he said dude you know it's, it's really funny you should you should actually see if the rule you can apply the rules you know to a drake beat 
So I, I wrote I wrote a rap on on the show and just performed it. It was like my thing on that show was always to write a rap within the show and perform it on the day. Mm. So I wrote a, a, a Drake one and it it got filmed. And I think I mean I don't I don't engage with YouTube at all, but I'm told that it's um it's the one out of all the songs that I did on Fubar that got the most. Because it sounds it does sound like a Drake lyric, bruv. So I was like, what what are the rules behind this? Like some, <laughs> somebody has cracked the code. Like, yeah, I've cracked someone the code. has stepped in. I've cracked the code and worked it out. You know, I, as much as I love music, the frustrating thing about being a musician is you constantly look behind the curtain. It's, mm. it's like the same way that I can't fully enjoy stand up because I know what they're doing. You know, I know what the process is and I know how cynical it is. That yeah. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. You know, when Penn and Teller, the magicians had a show where they showed you how some of their most famous tricks were done. It didn't kill the magic for me. Like it, it made me realize what geniuses they were Mm. to even think up how to do those things. So although I've cracked the code of how to write a Drake song, doesn't mean his songs have any less worth. He's, Mm. he invented that code. So he is still right up there with, with, with some of the best. And, you know, it makes me laugh that, that that people genuinely get so angry about him because he's just he's just doing his thing. It's just music, man. It's I, just music. I, I, I don't know if pe- if I don't like something, I just don't. You just don't, don't listen I don't, to I don't it. Take it on. Do you know? I what don't I mean? know why we have to have this thing in rap. I guess it's because it's a street culture. You know, in rock and roll, you know, when if someone doesn't like another person's music, unless they're like Noel Gallagher, they don't bang on about like. <laughs> They just make their music, yeah, and, it, and it's different from this other music because clearly they don't like that type of of rock and roll, and that's it is what it is. It's slightly classier, whereas in rap we feel the need to denigrate that rapper that we don't like and just pull him down a notch. Yeah, and we also have no respect for the previous king in rap. Nah, it's whereas all in about, rock and roll. Yeah. The previous kings are celebrated forever. Mm-hmm. And you know we we just ridicule us, so like we ridicule Fifty Cent now. We ridicule every person who's been on the throne up until this point, from you know Cool G Rap through Big Daddy Kane, right through Nas Jigger. If they're not on top now, we're like, oh yeah, there has been. Yeah, no, they provided yeah. the platform for you to be on top now. It's like you have to die. You have, like to you, have to you have to die. That's the only way to stay. That's the only way you can freeze your on top. Yeah, yeah in freeze rap. your on topness. Because once you're old, you're you're done. You're mm. whack. And I'm not saying like Fifty Cent's output now or Eminem's output is something that I listen to, mm. but it cannot be denied. Like 2000, when Fifty put out Power of the Dollar, I mean, he was untouchable for me. Like he 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 was he was, he was my favorite rapper at that time, which seems crazy to say now. And Eminem similarly, you know, I mean, everybody knows what he did. Um, but, you know, every musician eventually, they have a, they have a natural shelf life. But the, their output at the top of their game should always, always be respected and celebrated. You can't say, oh yeah, he's a husband now. Mm. Look, look at these new guys. New doesn't necessarily mean good. Just There's just a hype about you because you're new. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, people telling me that that J Cole is is like the the greatest rapper. It's like <laughs> you guys are so overexcited, man. <laughs> you know, I think that's a generation. I think I think that's a that's a generational thing. I think now it's it's that um and uh, and we're at risk of sounding like old farts here. I, I, it's I that, have it's no that, problem it's with that sounding on, that, that way. It's that 
on demand sort of culture mm. sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting coming from you, like, and you know, cause you've, you've had a journey in rap as well. And like mm. you mentioned things, which isn't like, you know, mm. um, if I'm correct me if I'm in one of the places where, you know, you did some work earlier on your rap career. Dingles is a very special venue to me because I've revisited it with various different things I've done. Um, at times where what I'm doing is completely fetal. So for example, the very first rap battle I ever took part in was at Dingwalls at a night called Mudlums in, in 99. Um, and the very first paid stand up eight minutes that I did was for Jonglers at Dingwalls. And the very first movie I ever acted in um, it was Life on the Road, the, the the Ricky Gervais movie, and one of the first scenes we shot was the band playing on stage at Dingwalls. And on top of that, you know, I'm from here. I'm from Northwest London. Camden was like my West End as a, as a as a as a kid, you know. Yeah. Um. So my relationship with the area is is very it's very profound, and it it means a hell of a lot to me. So uh, yeah, Dingwalls is a, is a funny one. It just keeps sort of popping up. Yes, I've, if I was a spiritual person, I'm sure I'd <laughs> say something about the moon and the stars, but I'm not really. But that's, yeah, that's I don't nice. think you can talk about the moon and the stars and dingwalls. At the end of the day, it is, it is a st- stinky, decrepit hole in the ground, but it's my stinky, decrepit hole in the yeah, ground. So. Yeah, and you came up in Northwest, whereabouts? Yeah, I mean, like coming here, you know, it's just, I didn't even need to read the whole address because, you know, I, I grew up in Willesden. Um, I've got family all over Kensal Rise, where we're, we're recording this. Kilburn and went to school in Cricklewood um mm. you know this is this is my area I and mean, I know every paving stone um as soon as I come out of this studio I know every paving stone for a good sort of two three mile radius yeah um I spent so much time on these streets it's mad to see it change so much I mean Kensal Rise now is is like a sort of millionaire's paradise um whereas when I was growing up it was just sort of a sort of in-betweeny between sort of Wilsdon and 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 and, uh, and Labrick Grove, it was. It I always saw it as like the gateway to Carnival. I used to love walking from my mum's house up from Wilsdon to Kensal Rise and just slowly seeing the masses build on Carnival weekend. Um, and you know you can still see that, but it's um, it's kind of unrecognisable Kensal Rise to be honest. It's, uh, it's it's very strange. There's a lot of exposed brick and wooden. Uh, wooden benches and, and free Wi-Fi yeah. coffee shops and yeah you're hard pressed to find a, a cushion to put on yeah <laughs> that exposed brick shit man like dude you guys have got money like just just paint this place like just, it just <laughs> looks lazy to me <laughs> exposed brick and, um, exposed and, brick and old bits like of furniture to sit on it's like yes, a phrase yeah, like yeah. street food I saw yeah. I saw a place in Covent Garden the other day that was like had a sign outside saying come inside for street food and I was like well that's oxymoronic to, to begin with street food <laughs> it should be on the street I had a little peek in and they had like these Jamaican themed bits of food I didn't see any Jamaicans working in there but there was like sort of fusion Jamaican fusion type patties mm. everything was wildly overpriced and I was like this is not street food this Sounds is not like, street yeah. food when I was in I was in Colombia and I went into like a store that was a bit like, you know, a bit like Woolworths, just sort of like a low budget, kind of low rent 
supermarket-y superstore type thing. Mm. And outside on the high street, outside that store, there was this glass case, you know, those sort of hot box glass cases that you get, you know, to keep keep food warm. And what this dude was selling was inside the glass case, there was an entire pig, right? A whole pig um, that had, I don't know, been buried and roasted or something like that. But like it's all its skin was sort of browned and blackened mm. in places. Mm. So the skin was all edible. It was chopped in half. Um, let's see, not horizontal, like just down the middle. I'm getting my Damien Hurst. Okay. I'm trying to yeah, it's how crazy. It was, how it and then turned towards you so you could see inside right. the pig. It had been completely gutted. Mm-hmm. And what was inside was all the pork shreds pulled off, mixed with brown rice and 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 black eyed peas, and you know various herbs and spices and stuff. And uh, this is called lechuna. And um, he'd just get like a burger box, top that up massively ladles of this shit mm. uh, and then he had his like three or four homemade um, hot sauces and then you just choose a bit of crackling he'd tear you off a bit of crackling mm. off the pig 70p 70p that, that is street food it's kind of like a biryani you know like a biryani mm. like an Indian curry all in one with crackling. dry rice yeah but with crackling mm. banging mm. that's street food yeah so have you travelled quite a bit then I've travelled the world uh amazingly thanks to stand-up you know mm. um i was never a traveling guy i was when i was growing up i was so london even into my 20s i was just i i, I loved london i never felt like i needed to leave even though i had like wild aspirations you know i wanted to be an entertainer i wanted to i wanted to sort of touch the world with stuff that i'd created for as long as i can remember but I never had any interest in leaving London, ever. Like, I, I always had this opinion, like, you know, by the time I was, like, 12, I could swear in, like, every language on earth because of the kids I grew up with, you know? Like, the various different crews I ran with would all invariably have Caribbeans, Africans, Turks, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, Jews, Muslims, you know? We had it all. We had it all, and uh, I, n- I never felt the need to leave. I'm like, why do I need to go there? Like, I've got, you know, I've got Shahab here. He can tell me what it's like in, in <laughs> yeah. Bangladesh, yeah, you know? He can yeah. teach me the language. And, you know, to this day, I think, yeah, there's, there's something in that. But obviously, you know, any human being benefits from actually seeing these places. But, yeah, I never made a choice to do it. When I started doing stand-up, I remember an older comic saying to me, you'll, you'll go everywhere you'll see the world. And I was like, with, like with these dick jokes, I, I can't see it happening. He goes, no, trust me. And soon enough, I think my first trip abroad to do stand up was in Singapore. And then it was Dubai. And then it was, uh, Australia and then the States and then Canada, uh, Switzerland. And, you know, wherever there's an English speaking community, an expat community, or, you know, the, the community just happens to speak English, like in, in Holland where everyone speaks English. Um, or, or Scandinavia, which I've taught three times, where everyone speaks English. You know, you can do comedy. And the, the stand-up culture doesn't exist in a lot of, well, in the majority of countries in the world. It's obviously huge in the States, but even in America, they don't have stand-ups per capita like we have. Relatively, we've got 
a ridiculous amount of stand-ups considering how small our population is. For some reason, it's this uniquely British thing. And because of the power of the internet, social media, and, and, and most of all the, 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 the sites that provide video content, YouTube, Vimeo, Vivo, and all of these, stand-up, British stand-up has traveled the world and the world is a much smaller place. So you can, you can go anywhere and do stand-up and amazingly since uh i started in 2008 i've been to every con continent doing it apart from antarctica <laughs> you know um and that would be uh, interesting <laughs> yeah and what i love about it is it's different from music where you sort of show up and you you do your songs and and, and then you leave the structure is the same you show up you perform and then you leave but with stand-up you actually get to interact with the people so you can learn a lot about different cultures mm. uh, and you learn a lot about yourself and and your opinions and and also your ideas how universal you, your ideas are yeah yeah um, and i'd say the toughest place to play in the world is is the states as an englishman because um we share a language but the culture is so so different that um our reference points are wildly wildly uh disparate Whereas, you know, you just go across the border to Canada and culturally we're much, much closer. Uh, I hardly have to change anything to perform in, in Montreal. Or, really? Yeah, Toronto. Really? Because yeah. I think there's, I've obviously, you know, I've, I've seen your shit on, mm. online and I feel like there's, there was some stand-up that you did where you spoke about, for example, trick-or-treating, not really being trick-or-treating. Mm. And, and I felt that was one of the parts and, and go online and find it's fucking hilarious. And... <laughs> That was one of the things that, one of the smaller parts of a comedy where I was like, am I just loving this because I've literally grown up in the same area yeah. as you? Because yeah. the reference points are mm. so close to home. Mm. Or or can somebody in America understand this? And when I'm scrolling through comments, because I'm a bit weird like that, I like to look at <laughs> comments, they're like, oh God, this guy's sick. Like you can blatantly tell it's somebody from right, right. America. No, um, that's interesting. Like, and so when you go on like, and obviously the Drake thing that you did that we just spoke about, mm. You know, he's a worldwide artist. So yeah, the fact sure. that somebody did something about that, that mm. reference point, mm. you know, about just Drake's formula was mm -hmm. like cut across. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. Like Canada's in incredible. I think, you know, especially you go to somewhere like Toronto, there's such a sort of big Jamaican influence on popular culture in Toronto that you actually hear a lot of the same slang that we have in London, which just always amazed me, you know, um, you know, this, they call trainers creps, you know? Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> There's a song that you should seek out and it's from around about 99, 2000. It's by uh, a rapper who for a long time was the biggest rapper in Canada. He was called Cardinal Official. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, look up a song by him called Bacardi Slang. And, you know, this is a guy who at the time had not toward the UK no, in the same way a lot of Americans and Canadians don't have a, a massive understanding of of mm -hmm. European culture. Listen to Bacardi slang and listen to the amount of slang on there that you're like, dude, that's London slang. Mm. How is that possible? All right. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm half Jamaican and I'm of the very biased opinion that Jamaica, despite being a tiny, tiny island, provides a massive amount of popular culture that completely transgresses, travels across cultures around the world. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm I'm not Jamaican, so I can give you the outside point of view. I'm half Nigerian, half English. Okay. 
Jamaicans do cool shit, man. It's just it's not it's not hard, bro. Like you hear you hear um a Nigerian man cussing out somebody, yeah? Yeah, he might sound like he's cussing out somebody, but something about the way he kisses his teeth just ain't the same, bro. <laughs> I'm being honest with you, yeah. Like That's very I think funny. nobody can chastise like a Nigerian person, yeah. No, it's very but, true. It's just Jamaicans do shit in a cool way. Mate, I don't. It's the way you. Like, yeah, you know? I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about that country. Um, it could take a lifetime of study, but there's something about that Jamaican swagger that I guess people want to buy into. Of course, you know. Of course, it's interesting. Of course, I mean, and then there's, there's, there's some. And there's there's some of it in me. You know, I can mm. I can feel it. I can actually feel it sometimes, and it um. You know, it aids a lot of th- things that I do in in terms of the entertainment business, but it's no more crucial than my my British side and and and, and the the white uh, British influence that I, I have in me. That that it's a total balance, and I think mm. that's part of a huge part of what makes my work appealing to people. It doesn't fall completely in any camp, and I've never as as much as I know who I am and I'm aware of how I'm viewed I've never ever publicly said oh this is more important than this or denied any side of myself the only thing I would say and I've said this in my stand-up is that despite the fact that I am one I'm of the hundred percent of who I am I'm 50 percent black and 50 percent white there's no no other discretion um I'll never be seen as white I can never be white. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I can be black. Bruv. And that's, that's the, that's the slight tipping of the balance, which, which fascinates me. Mm. Cause mm. you know, people always say, hey, yo, you're not fully black. Like, why are you getting so upset about this, this racial issue? And I'm like, well, because Somebody's I can't actually be ver- you. I can't be white. Said that yeah. I've, I've had those conversations in the past. Wow. Um, and I was like, you know, I can't, I can't be you. That's the difference. That's that's why I'm concerned about this because you know people of color all share one thing, uh, which is they've experienced at some point in their life some prejudice based on their face and what they 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 look like um, at various different degrees of in- intensity, and um, unfortunately, I can't separate that from myself just because half of me is white I'll, I'll always feel those same prejudices and 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 they need to be battled and I, I i've always thought instinctively who better to to battle these prejudices than mixed race people you know who are able to have a, a slightly chameleonic quality and um and speak to all sorts of people without it feeling like a a, a diatribe or like you've got chip on your shoulder or you know a, 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 a case to put across in an aggressive way i think mixed race people are very important uh to the whole sort of cultural milieu of the world and i don't think there's any coincidence that the biggest rapper in the world is mixed race that the the president the most powerful person in the world leader of the free world is mixed race that bob marley was mixed race that Jimi hendrix was mixed race the mm. prince was mixed race and these people will live forever in in our in our memories um and have a huge influence on on the way that all people white people black people think and and behave i don't think there's any coincidence that these people were mixed race 
It's funny you should say that. I'm trying to think of a comedian that sits in that area of, other than yourself. And, and no, I kind um, of, I, I kind of own that shit, and I'm, I'm glad because it leads to a lot more work for me. It's the one time like my color has been a huge advantage. I was going to ask you that, yeah, yeah. Because you know, I, 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 in my earlier days of stand up, I did the black circuit as much as the white circuit, and all the black comics would say to me, "Dude, you, you got to get off the black circuit. Like you are made for like." the world circuit you know and i i never saw it as being trapped in in the black circuit i just thought i'm gonna do this gig and i'm gonna do that gig and i didn't change my style really for either either circuit the only thing i did was i was probably a lot more energetic at the at, on the on the black circuit because you can't be a sort of mumbly they haven't got the patience for that <laughs> plus they on the black circuit it's never fully quiet you know yeah whereas on on the sort of mainstream circuit everybody shuts the fuck up everybody you know whereas your know, black audiences they'll comment you know no, i'm not talking about heckling they just get involved yeah as you are um, so you've got to be a bit more yeah like on your game and a bit more forthright you can't be as um self-deprecating i think yeah and i think you definitely hit that balance when you the big thing that pops when you type in dot brown or, or or ben smith on on youtube is something we're going to be discussing in the next episode which you can check out right away in the meantime this show is produced and hosted by me marcus bronzy thank you to the co-producers billy wright shane powell and david shawcross special thank you to milo fisher in research wide awake aka cj beats and jordan crisp for the intro and outro music you can listen to Marcus Meets via iTunes podcast for Apple devices or Acast, which works with every phone that is smart. If you're unsure what will work with your device, then head to marcusbronzy.com slash meets to listen any way you desire. We would love your feedback in the form of a rating and review. You can do that by going to marcusbronzy.com slash review. And if you really want to support us, buy us a cup of tea, become a patron. And in return, we'll give you bonus content, early content, and extra information and ways which you can get involved in Meets and form the shape of future guests and shows and questions by going to marcusbronzy.com slash thanks. Thank you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 